I'm Niall Boyce, the editor of The Lancet Psychiatry. Today I'm at the Institute of Psychiatry, Psychology and Neuroscience, which is part of King's College London, and I'm going to be talking to Hind Khalife about the subject of violence against women. Hello, Hind. Hello. Why is it an issue for psychiatrists to worry about? It's a, it's a key issue because the majority of women under the care of our services have been a victim of partner or sexual violence, and many continue to be so whilst under our care. And women tell us that by failing to identify this problem, we often fail to understand the context of the symptoms and to offer them effective treatment. Yeah, so that's clearly a, a serious problem. How big a problem is it in terms of um, numbers? So we know from quite a few studies now that around 60 to 70 percent of women under the care of mental health services have been a victim of uh, partner sexual violence in their lifetime and about a third continue to be victims of partner or sexual violence within the past year whilst under our care. And you mentioned that if psychiatrists don't ask about that, they're not really serving the needs of, of the patients. And how can violence against women interact with uh, the problems which women might experience with their mental health? So although the interactions are complex, we do know that uh, that's a bi-directional relationship. So we know from studies that look over patients over time that prior experiences of violence can lead women to develop mental health problems, so to develop depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder. And we also know that women uh, with a mental illness can subsequently become victims of violence uh, and that they may be three to six times more likely to experience violence than women without mental health problems. Okay, so these numbers are so high, it suggests to me that there's something lacking in the current service, something lacking in the current response to this problem. Would you say that's the case? Uh, absolutely. So we know from research that looked at whether we're managing to identify women who are victims that we only pick up about 10 to 30 percent of women who have been a victim. So we're missing the majority of these experiences in our women. And this really matters. So we know from other research that uh, women are less likely to respond to standard treatments uh, and to have so-called treatment-resistant depression or treatment-resistant anxiety if we have failed to identify these experiences and address them with appropriate trauma-informed treatments. But there is some controversy over how one identifies this problem. I know that the subject of screening, for instance, goes back and forth. What's the current thinking on that? Part of the problem with this issue of screening is the setting in which it has been researched. So the majority of research on screening has been done in primary care and sometimes also in accident and emergency settings where the extent or the prevalence of these experiences is somewhat lower than in mental health services. In those settings um, there is some evidence that uh, universal screening or screening everyone who walks in through the door improves the proportion of women that we identify. But there isn't very good evidence that once you identify these problems, you are then going to help these women uh, be less likely to be a victim of ongoing violence or to improve their quality of life. However, there is very, very limited research on screening within mental health settings. So we don't really know if universal screening in mental health settings is effective. But what people have argued is that experiences are so common, and women themselves have told us that they would like it to be identified, and if it's identified in the right way and responded to in the right way, then that is something that they would find helpful. That national guidelines in the UK now recommend routine inquiry, so asking all women, but in a safe way, and once professionals have been trained, asking them if they've had these experiences. Okay, you say in a safe way. Could you describe uh, what, what that might be? Mental health professionals need to be trained in how to ask, 
and how to respond in a way that does not increase the risk for women and then that links them in with appropriate services, for example, domestic violence charities, and also leads to appropriate treatments within mental health settings themselves. And what might the risks be if you don't ask about these things in a safe way? So if you don't ask in a safe way, there is a potential that the women would be at increased risk from their partners. For example, uh, if there's a breach of confidentiality, if the partner becomes aware that the woman has disclosed these experiences to her health professionals, she may be at risk of increased physical violence, uh, the partner may stop her from seeing mental health professionals, and the risk may actually escalate for the woman and for potentially for the rest of her family, for example, her children. What do you think the barriers are why uh, clinicians wouldn't ask about uh, violence? So we know something about this from a systematic review of uh, research asking professionals what the barriers were, specifically mental health professionals. And some key themes emerged from that, uh, including their lack of training, so their worry and their understandable and realistic worry that they would um, cause increased risk to the women, their lack of um, knowledge about the extent of these experiences and their impact, and there's also some additional psychological barriers. So these experiences are so widespread, so some mental health professionals themselves have had these experiences, and that creates a psychological barrier to asking. Uh, also attitudes, so some health professionals think that it is not within the remit of mental health services or it's not within the medical model, for example, to address these experiences. I think there might also be some reluctance because people don't know what services mm -hmm. are available. Mm -hmm. uh, could you tell me a bit about the kinds of services which are offered within the mental health care setting and elsewhere to uh, women who have experienced violence? Mm -hmm. So I think in the UK we are fortunate in that there are really good um, third sector charities and services specifically there to address domestic violence and sexual violence, for example Women's Aid, which is a national charity. And there have been very successful joint protocols between health services and domestic violence sectors, particularly within primary care, where these services have worked jointly to help women. So I think there are many services available. Where the barrier is, there's a lack of integrated care between these services and health sector services. But it should be possible to remedy that. And, and so that's one of the areas which is lacking. Uh, is there, would you say, sufficient provision in terms of safe spaces, in terms of refuges or shelters? So that's slightly political. The funding is being cut, and so some really good local services have recently, I know in South London, have recently had the services cut and have had to close. But um, there is enough uh, of first-line response, if you like, for that not to be a barrier. And if we look beyond the UK at the global picture, could you tell me to what extent violence against women is a problem worldwide? Violence against women tends to be, it's a form of, gender-based violence which intersects with lots of other inequalities that women have, for example poverty, um, lack of employment and also broader societal things like patriarchal attitudes or um, attitudes towards women or societal acceptance of violence by men towards women. So we know that in certain settings, for example in Asia and some uh, parts of Africa, uh, the prevalence of violence against women is much higher and the provision uh, in terms of services is much lower than here, so it is a definitely a global problem. Violence against women is just one of the many topics covered in the Women's Mental Health series. Uh, another thing is the uh, issue of research and to what extent women's mental health is prioritised in research. There's a, a statement made in one of the comments accompanying the series that uh, gender-neutral research in fact means gender-biased research. Would you say that's the case? Yes. 
Definitely. So just a little bit elaborate on what that term means. So gender-neutral research is where you do not specifically look at differences between men and women, either in the etiology of the illness or in their response to treatment. And there are some obvious examples of problems that particularly relate to women. For example, uh, women who are pregnant or women who are postnatal, there's uh, different incidence of some disorders. For example, a very high incidence of psychotic illnesses in the postpartum period. And uh, for example, medication treatment with psychotropics during pregnancy that has specific risks that need to be looked at. And to date, women have been um, largely excluded from clinical trials and medications, and pregnant women are always actively excluded. So it's almost an evidence-free area where we're having to make very complex decisions on medication treatment in pregnancy in the absence of evidence. Yeah, as I recall, the uh, guidelines have always said, we'll just try to use the oldest drugs because we're pretty sure of their safety profile from experience, exactly. which I accept is, is the best that you can do in terms of guidelines, but just doesn't seem terribly satisfactory. No, and also what you, you end up in a situation where the clinical trials are based on men's needs, and so the most commonly used medications can be the ones that have been used without special regard to women. For example, uh, in bipolar disorder treatment, valparate became a very common treatment, and we now know that valparate is a teratogen. But it took a very long time for that evidence to emerge and for us to realise the dangers of that treatment. Whereas if at baseline we were actively considering the relative benefits and risks of different treatment in women of childbearing age during pregnancy, we may have avoided that risk or it may have been a shorter time before we identified the risks. So in terms of research, in terms of the clinic, it sounds like it's time that we took account of uh, the needs of, of women in terms of their mental health and addressed those in terms of finance, in terms of service provision, mm -hmm. and also in the clinic room and the individual interaction between doctor and patient. Yeah, absolutely. So in addition to those very specific examples of pregnancy and the postpartum period, the etiology of illnesses may be different. We gave a very specific example of violence. So. Uh, we know, for example, from research on the Adult Psychiatric Morbidity Survey, that up to 24% of common mental disorders may be attributed to experiences of domestic or sexual violence in women. And that's likely to be much greater than men, just because they're more likely to be victims. And if we're not looking specifically at that, then we're missing uh, an important etiological factor. So what advice would you give, say, to the uh, junior doctor, maybe, or even the experienced consultant who's listening to this, and is thinking, you know, I, I don't ask about that, I don't know what to do, and, and is maybe feeling a, a bit lost handling this kind of issue. What advice would you give? So in terms of violence against women and identifying that, I would probably start with the policymakers within an organisation, within a mental health trust, because like we said, it has to be done within the context of training. So I would say that needs to be prioritised at a senior level. There needs to be protocols in place for training staff, for having then uh, referral pathways when these are identified, for developing psychological treatment so they're trauma-informed. And then more broadly, within general adult psychiatric services, if you're women, seeing women of reproductive age, then always thinking about um, childbearing issues, so contraception, sexual health, 
the appropriateness of medication you're prescribing to uh, safety in pregnancy and the postnatal period. We've talked a lot about younger women, but it's also important to think about these issues in older women. So we know from other evidence that women with dementia, for example, are at increased risk of domestic violence, um, closely related to carer abuse. So it's something that we need to think about for women of all ages across all parts of psychiatric services, general adult, older age and obviously child and adolescent, because young women are particularly high risk of these violence experiences. So this is really quite an effort that's needed, quite a lot of work needed. Hopefully the papers which are published in the Women's Mental Health Series will be the beginning of this process, but what kind of progress would you like to see in five years' time, say, or in ten years' time? I think one thing I was very impressed by recently in terms of impactful research and policy is the global burden of disease study and their findings which were recently published in the Lancet on maternal health and infant health and there was a very clear-sighted number of specific aims and objectives for example on maternal mortality or neonatal mortality and there's been great progress made there and we started this article uh, by saying that um, domestic violence is a public mental health issue Uh, and I think if we took a similar approach where we said for example domestic violence is a public mental health issue and it um, contributes a significant proportion to the burden of mental illness in women, and that we'd like to see that, uh, for example, the proportion of cases identified increased by X percent, or the proportion of women being offered the appropriate treatment by Y percent, then that's where we might start to see some progress. That's almost where the phrase domestic violence or uh, intimate partner violence, although they're, they're clearly sort of descriptive terms, that we can't let that frame entirely the way that, that we think about this problem. We've also got to think of it as, as a public mental health issue as yes, well. Absolutely. Just because it is so common and so prevalent, and we know from research that it does contribute to the burden of mental illness and to treatment resistance in mental illness. In Khalifa, thank you very much. Thank you.